Good evening and welcome to Horror. I'm Lee. I'm Chris. I'm Adam. I'm Dave. And we are joined this evening by the often mentioned Magical Dave. How you doing, Dave? Splendid, splendid. Excellent. Very happy to be here, I'm sure. Absolutely. You know, Saturday night, what else is there to do? <laughs> <laughs> He's not here under duress like you are, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, give it time. <laughs> is this an inside rescue attempt? Is that what's going on? Has Dave come in to try and sneak him out through the back door? The sort of an pardon. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not quite out of lockdown yet. Oh yeah, that's true. That's the that's the only thing, Chris. Is this is the only time that we're all in the same boat as you? We're all uh, oh, no. confined to smaller quarters. Um, so this evening we are, as promised, covering uh, A Nightmare in Elm Street, the original. Um, but in the meantime, let's start with Dave. Have you watched anything interesting, Dave, horror-related? Well, obviously, obviously I've watched A Nightmare on Elm Street one and a half times. <laughs> and then because, uh, you know, it came up Wes Craven, I also had Scream that I still had on, on mm. record. I hadn't got around to watch it. So watching that with the, you know, obviously he's got a, a bit more money and a bit more panache, I guess. I'll better give too much away. So, yes, yeah, so I was pleased to see that. And uh, then I had to watch half it again because I thought with my memory, I'll probably confuse the two films all the way through. So. <laughs> <laughs> but and doesn't Scream, it, it, meant, it references other, either other horror films. I've only seen it once a long time ago and I didn't even realise it was Res Craven until recently but so yeah does it does it ever reference Nightmare on Elm Street well th there's a janitor in there who is Freddy uh, yes okay you know the fond says not you Freddy or something like that yeah <laughs> so there are casual references yes mm. yeah it's um what did you think of Scream yeah yeah I think uh watching it after watching the other one yeah yeah, I thought it was very good. You know, um, I think the acting, well, I say I think the acting was very good in Scream and uh, this sort of deliberate misleading, and you know it's kind of misleading, you know. Took yeah. Yeah, I think it's a very, I think it is the uh, the sort of quintessential self-referential horror movie, really. It's, um, yeah, I think he did a fantastic job of not, it almost doesn't satirise it, but it does point out how all the loops and a bit like Cabin in the Woods, it points mm -hmm. out how a lot of the story arcs and loops and things work for those who aren't necessarily uh, well versed in horror, so that you appreciate what's going on throughout it. Um, Is that, does that make that really explicit? There's a guy who explains the trope. Yeah, yeah. At one point, the guy goes through literally goes through the rules of. Uh, how not to get killed in a horror film and it is all the cliches of going off alone and switch the damn lights on and stuff like that so don't have sex yep yeah but you know the way it's done it, it's almost as if they're not patronizing you and telling you you know because mm -hmm. it's both works in the video shore who's a horror fan and stuff like that so it all fits in very well i thought you know it's what was it someone described it as the first horror film where people in it had seen horror films. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. 
And it definitely does like, a very good job of that. Yeah, a bit like if soap operas ever got to watch the news, you know. <laughs> never, do, never watch the news in any of them. Right? No. They never watch soaps. That's true as well, yeah. You know. Um, yeah, I think it's fact that, to be honest as well, I think the whole series of Scream I really enjoyed. I felt it... Um, yeah, I felt it kind of carried on. It was one of those things where it came out and it did a really good job of what it did. But then I was like, is it a bit of a one-trip pony and it won't necessarily be able to hold up to, to multiple stories? Um, but yeah, again, they did a really good job of then kind of satirising the sequels and how they work. Yeah, and kind of managed to keep it going for quite a while. Uh, I, yeah. I think it also helps is that unusually... I I don't think he did the fourth one, but Wes Craven did two and three yeah, as well, which is sort of unusual in, in most horror franchises where the director actually keeps steering and keeps it going. Because he didn't do Not Run Elm Street 2, I think. Did you say that? He did not. No, he didn't. He, the only he came other... back for three. No, I don't think... Did he direct three? I don't think he did. Now, I don't think mm. he did. He directed... The only other one he did was uh, New Nightmare. Okay. Which, weirdly enough, you're talking about Scream, New Nightmare is almost like a dry run. Mm. Because, again, that's a really... I'm, I'm, that's one I'm really looking forward to re-watching. Because I haven't seen it since it was out. And it's basically... Especially because it's like... It was like mid-90s. It was about 95, 96 or something like that. And it's basically a post-modern horror film because everyone in it is themselves. So Robert Englund's in it as Robert Englund as well uh. as Freddy Krueger. And it's basically... The story is, is that by making the films, they've given an evil entity a face that is Freddy. And it's Freddy coming out into the real world. So, and like going after uh, Heather Langenkamp, not as Nancy, but as herself. So you can and imagine most, that be either really bad or really good. It was, as, as I recall, I thought it was really good at the time. I think it got a bit of a, it got a bit of a pan in at the time, but then I think that was again, the usual, oh, well, it's not a proper sequel, is it? Mm. Um, from people who just wanted another, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Um, but as I recall, I, I, I remember it being really good and quite sort of, you know, and especially for its time, because, I mean, it is sort of now like 25-odd years ago to be mm. doing something where it is, you know, it's like, like say, postmodern sort of take yeah. on it where you've got people playing themselves as themselves in the real world and bringing the monsters out it's basically the league of gentlemen's apocalypse yes <laughs> but with um uh, freddy krueger rather than tubbs and edward yeah. so it's a bit of a head of its time yeah it, it was to take it to take a franchise so so out of itself in that fashion mm. yeah was definitely <clears> something that hadn't been done and yeah I, I agree with adam i think it's a, a good film i've probably return to it less than a lot of the other sequels but um yeah I, I think it was different enough that it didn't feel like they were just because the later films in the franchise did feel a bit like they were just rolling out the same things again and again 
uh, yeah, so to put that much of a different spin on it, I thought was was yeah. Quite yeah, they were at least trying to yeah. bring something new to it, and it kind of, and it kind of is almost like a dry run for Scream, because mm. again, you've got that same thing of people, people's awareness of what is going on. Yeah, sort of takes on a whole new thing with it. And are you working your way through all of the Nightmare on Elm Streets? I think I will. Um, yeah. Basically, and here's here's fun. Uh, uh, Claire watched Nightmare on Elm Street with me. Mm. and uh, she really enjoyed it and yeah. so i'm thinking i want to show her too just because it's one of those things where it's that's really got to be seen to be believed mm. um and not in a good way and then obviously we're doing three for the next episode so i kind of just for my own completion sake i would mm. like to watch it and then and then i'll probably watch the remainder because i definitely do want to watch new nightmare yeah and I kind of feel maybe I can build it up because I think that was the thing is new nightmare. Like you say, Lee, it kind of was a reaction against the fact that it was just turning into a pretty formulaic thing of it. would be like, right, here's a, here's what's happening. Uh, Freddie will pop up, wise cracks, surreal deaths, job done. Yeah. Um, Oh, sorry, I just realised we haven't got to the main topic yet and we're already uh, yeah, sharing the goods. Um, <laughs> well, you're doing your own times, your, your personal matters. So. You can't see from the waist down on the camera. Um, so, anything else, Dave, that you've watched recently, uh, horror-wise? Horror-related stuff, obviously. Lots of the news, which is much the same. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a couple of horror football games from West Ham. Um, <laughs> and, uh, again, a bit like you know movies, you, 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 ex- you know you know what to expect. So, uh, like that. Uh, no, a lot of people having a bad dream regarding football. Didn't Liverpool win something? Yeah, they won half the Premiership for the first time in thirty years. So uh, I heard. Yeah, I heard a few people quite, quite upset off. about it. Who did? I heard a few people mention it, and they seemed quite upset about it. Well, they have been sort of winning since the league started, so it can't go <laughs> right. But, you know, well, anyway, why shouldn't people get upset about stuff they normally do? So, you yeah. um, Chris, have you seen anything since uh, last week? Yeah, well, fortunately, it was quite topical. So uh, I Ooh. thought I'd continue with Eli Roth's Slasher Part 2 mm. oh, yes. and his History of Horry Horror series. And it was all about Nightmare on Elm Street, which possibly it, it certainly gave away a couple of uh, parts of the film but it definitely didn't ruin it um, and and yeah it did mention Scream as well which is why I remembered I had seen Scream when it came out I think I might have even seen it at the cinema um, and I remembered there being a few twists that I was quite impressed with but couldn't exactly remember how it unfolded um, mm. and they uh, yeah so they, they said again about how Slashers are where the, uh, the the bad guy is essentially the star of the film. Um, although I did think with Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, I definitely liked the role that Nancy played mm. her part. She was a very good, um, it was a great role going up against Freddie, the way she does. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of found myself yeah, following both of them equally. Uh, then they mentioned Candyman, which I know we've mentioned a few times, and I think we've got planned for. Yeah, yeah we should I, watch Candyman at some point. It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. 
like so yeah it just it looks fantastic um and it was very interesting to see the actor he said uh, the actual bees were real bees and he got stung mm. something like 26 times um so he's like yeah right you know you certainly can't say that's an easy an easy job so yeah some actors clearly you know put in a lot of effort um, Please, you, do you know what he did tony todd like mm. the a guy played Candyman, he actually negotiated with them. I think it was something like, I think it was like sort of like two hundred dollars per bee sting, <laughs> or something. It might have even been higher than that, like five hundred or something <laughs> like that. But basically, yeah. So he's like, yeah, I work, I work with live but live bees, but each sting yeah. costs. So twenty six bee stings. He was uh, he was rolling in it. So I think he was probably quite happy to do. So yeah. A mortgage repayment, so they just really shake the jar of beans yeah. before they stuck them on it. Can't get me your bastards, like, I've got bills. They should have like purple hearts for actors, you know, if you yeah. take one for the it team. Really, yeah. You know, and at the Oscars, at the end of the year, it's the Oscar for the most damaged person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That We'd call it the, I think we'd be the honorary Boris Karloff award. Yeah. The, amount that he used, the amount of shit he used to put himself through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um and, and similarly to that, although not quite as bad, Robert England, um interesting to see him talking about playing Freddie and how he had to get into the right mindset. And so he sort of said he was focusing on, you know, the horrible crusty makeup that they're putting on him. And then he said he also saw the young actors, uh, Johnny Depp and Heather Langenkamp. Langenkamp, yeah. Um and he's like I picturing how they've got this amazing career ahead of them you know so he's sort of building up this self-loathing towards them <laughs> um, yeah and and it shows because after seeing him say that and then you watch the the scenes the fight scenes um they, they look quite you know they're quite good um especially when she whacks him over the head with the the jar yeah there's a lot there's a lot in that bit yeah um so yeah so that that was really good seeing that. Um, they also mentioned Science of the Lambs, which I've never seen. Obviously, I know about it. It's famous enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd always it's... like to cover that one day, I suppose, because it's still a lot of people can. It's horror. It's a crime film, hmm. but yeah. it's but it's dressed up with... as a horror film. Mm. Well, but actually, I, I the, suppose... the series Hannibal really took that to the extreme. Yeah, that would have really sort of grongignol sort of set pieces and stuff so mm. but, but they were trying to aim that at a bigger audience weren't they at least that's that's what i got from this it, like it was a you know the actors that were in it were certainly um, oh yeah they were they were big names yeah um because the weird thing was is actually silence of the lambs is the second hannibal lecter book and there is a mm, book okay. before it called man uh, called um, red dragon which had already been made as a film called Manhunter. Uh, mm. So although, who, uh, I think it was Orion who did Silence of the Lambs, although they'd bought the rights to the book, they still had to pay the people who had the rights to um, Red Dragon uh, for the use of the character of Lecter. Mm. Um, and actually, the, the, in Manhunter, Lecter's played by Brian Cox, and he is really good, but, he's not, but Lecter's not as bigger component as he becomes in Silence of the Lambs. Mm. But it was funny, they said he was actually only on screen for something like 14 minutes. And so the story yeah. was written so well, 
and it built him up so much that in your head, you know, he was on for far more of the film. Well, I mean, again, back to, back to the main feature, I think Freddy's only in mm. 11 minutes of Elm Street, I think I read, like the first one, yes. this first mm. one. So, and obviously then you've got uh, Hellraiser with Pinhead, yeah. again, barely on screen. And it's just these things where I, I think actually the familiarity tends to, uh, you know, you, the less you have of someone, it creates more of a mystique, weirdly. Mm. Yeah. I think definitely with Freddy as well, it gives the opportunity in the later films to really flesh out that, that backstory, which in, the, in, in this feature, obviously, you only get, um, like you do with, with most, most films, the villain is just the villain and he does what he does. And mm. the idea that there's so much of that to then flesh out later on um, and how he manages to have his powers and how he can attack people in their dreams and he has to... Um, yeah, it all gets explored later on, which is nice. But yeah, the mm. fact that they don't try and cram too much into the first film, sort of, mm. yeah, does it give it a bit more breathing space, really? Because it's only an hour and a half, so it's yeah. It's yeah. Not and too then the, the the final thing I mentioned was Saw and Hostel, which I think uh, is Eli Roth's film, Hostel. Yeah. Hostel was Eli and Roth, it sounded yeah. like you were both not too keen. Just. <sighs> It's not all that, I think. No. There, I mean, it was okay. I was more intrigued because it was just, I was more into the fact that I bought Hostel in Tesco's one night and that was kind of like, that just felt like one in the eye for all that time that you couldn't see like Reservoir Dogs or, mm. you know, the video nasties that were banned or The Exorcist and things like that. It kind of like was like, right, well, you know, we've moved on to the point where I can now buy this you know, vicious film in Tesco's, you know, along with like a sandwich. So I think I was, I was, fe- I was feeling that things had moved on somewhat, uh, but Hostel itself was not actually and, anything moving on. Particularly. So, but that, so Saw and Hostel were the beginnings of the torture porn um, yeah. category. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Saw has... Seemed to be saying. Saw still, I think the difference is that Saw does have a protected, like, it does have an antagonist, Mm. um, and it does have kind of, um, you know, there is a a plot running through of what is happening, whereas Hostel is more like, I mean, it, it has a plot, but it's very basic, and there's no, there is no sort of big bad in it which actually mm. works quite well because it's basically that there's this creepy place somewhere in Eastern Europe where if you've got enough money, you can go and kill someone mm. for your own gratification. Um, but in terms of the actual film, I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of gore, but in the end, it's just not that, it's not that interesting. No. You know, unless, unless you're a gore hound, unless you're sort of like, oh, I want to see the effects. I want to see what that looks like. You know, actually, in terms of as a as a movie, once you've actually got there, it's like, oh, right, okay, fair enough. Was it sounded like that? It was sort of uh, it. They were killing the guys that weren't very nice, right? Well, I mean, basically, it's you. You start the film meeting three pricks. And then they meet another prick. And then of that, 
those three pricks and the other prick get tortured and three of them get killed. So you mm. don't really give a shit because they're pricks. But this, this feels like a Lee film review, to be honest. <laughs> but, um, taking the words right out of my mouth. Adam, but, but, that, but that is basically it. But it's not, it's not even, it's not even that sort of Dexter false morality of mm. like, you know, Oh, we're just hunting there. It's just basically, here's a feckless tourist idiot. Uh, we can kill him. Mm. Okay. And yeah, so yeah, just, just a bunch of arseholes go somewhere, they get killed, you know. Yeah, it's just they're not very inventive. I mean, the, the Saw movie I appreciated more than the others because it had a fantastic twist at the end, which obviously I wasn't. Yeah, sure. yeah, they showed that, and yeah. Well, that's a shame. Uh, clearly, that's the only reason. I know, I know, it was. I was like, yeah, that was a great idea. That really would have worked. Um, but Hostel, as Adam said, is very minimal on the story. Mm. It, it, it's one of those I've said before I, I love slashers because they're tongue in cheek and they they don't take it seriously and there is a kind of soft comedic element like a black comedy element to all of it um, yeah. films like Hostel I felt took that out and just felt spite too real for no yeah for no real mm. reason. they were just vicious for, for no real reason. It, yeah because it's odd that there's the realism of it because yeah. actually that's the thing with Saw, and at least that kept going, was that Saw had a series of increasingly ludicrous but inventive mm. sort of puzzle, to, uh, murder puzzles to solve, or, you know, Hobson's choice to give people of like, you know, do you saw your leg off or do you yeah. open this guy up to get a key out of him? And, and sort of, so at least there was, whereas literally Hostel is just, near enough documentary <laughs> it's just yeah. how it, you know how that sort of a setup would operate without any sort of, there's nothing there's nothing but i think the only bit in that film that really just there was when he meets the american guy who has spent his money there and he's just like really keyed up in the locker room and he's sort of like he's going yeah i think no what i'll do is i'm going to go in there old school you know gun to the head that's it usa yeah and he's but beyond that it doesn't really have much much to say or much to go beyond sadism mm. i suppose and, I, and i've certainly never bothered watching too what did they say in the documentary, Chris? What was you know they were describing why they made it and or what their target market was? Did they just say basically what Lee said? Oh, we just thought we'd put some you know slash uh, some torture up there and some stuff and see if it sells. Or did they say no? We were trying to get a message across or, or well, yes, Esco, you know, yeah, yes. <laughs> like their message appeared to be it was a reflection on um, America, who at that point were. Uh, it was all about patriotism and you need to be so for America that you don't mind lowering your morals so you're willing to talk to people in order to get when, information. When did they make it? Yeah. Recently? Yeah. <laughs> None of that comes across in the film, I'd like to point out. I don't think it does. I think I can, I can understand it. In a weird way, I think I could understand it as a warning of... Don't be. Don't be too. Well, don't be a cocky dickhead American, tourist and, yeah. and live. Well, not not even American, but just don't be one of these people who sort of go somewhere 
where it's like, oh, I just want to experience this, this, and this, and exploit mm. a country or some, you know, a, a a country or a culture where there's it's considered less, or your money gets you something mm. that it wouldn't normally, or you know, like it's almost like a you know sex tourism and things like that. But again, that doesn't really <laughs> that message is. <laughs> It's, I don't think it counts as subtext when it's not there. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you watch any of these type of films, Dave? Any of the... Uh, I can't imagine them being your cup of tea particularly. Well, I'm, I'm only really catching up. It's only since you guys started a few years ago that I kind of reappraised why I'd kind of missed watching them or whatever. I mean, you know, my missus doesn't like them at all. So it was... That does make it a little trickier. Well, so you don't tend to put them on. So, yeah. you know, um, so when you guys stopped watching and they dragged you through it, Chris, I thought, well, you know, mm-hmm. this is what you have to say it sounds pretty good. And then when Claire came along with her, mm-hmm. these are the 10 films will try and get you across the line, you know, watching some of them, which I had seen, obviously, by the Frankenstein, that as a kid things, you know. Um, so you see, well, how's it, how's it moved on? And, uh, you know, every so often you inspire me uh, and it's on the telly. So I do watch more. And I, I, and I probably record three and watch one and a half or, or two, you know, maybe. Depends if I can fit it in. Mm-hmm. Obviously, now we can fit a lot more films in, but this is, uh, you know. Yeah. So, so that particular genre, like Saw and all that, which uh, some of my nephews are watching and things, you think didn't really appeal to me, the sound of it. Um, but a lot of, the, you know, the films that you guys talk about, like that platform the other week, that's on my list to mm. get around and watching at some point. Christopher's moral dilemma in it <laughs> and advice from you to how to get up and down the floors and should have packed <laughs> life, you know, handy hit. So, you know, that intrigues you really. So yes, yeah, so I'm watching more and more of it, but you know, catch up with you guys going to be a bit difficult. Um, I just dip my toe in now and again. Yeah. I will be very glad that you do. And I, I do like it. I've got to say it's, um, I say it, it is nice when I do see you, Dave, I know we don't get to see you as much as we'd like to, but it's nice when we have a catch up and you go, oh yeah, I've been through the back catalogue and I've mm. caught up with this and I've watched it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. it's, it's nice actually, yeah, that you're, um, yeah, as I say, that was when we started this, it was kind of our idea that was that we were guiding Chris, but it'd be nice to think that other people would kind of follow us along, but we didn't necessarily think that anyone apart from other horror nerds would. So it's, it's nice to know people do, really. Well, no one's applied to be Chris then over the years. No one's written in and said, I want to be Chris. And Take me as a disciple. I want to be the next Chris. Well, Chris has been replaced. I mean, maybe I shouldn't yeah. say Chris. Yeah, we are Is on the really third you? Chris now, yeah. <laughs> a bit like the drummer in Spinal Tap. We just keep yeah. shaving someone else's head and putting them in the box and uh, away they go. One of those First old... one spontaneously combusted. Yeah. <laughs> Second one, it was a lawnmower accident. Yeah. Like a boy band where you just keep replacing them. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so just my final thought on the torture porn thing. I say I hated it because as a, a horror fan, because it was such a massive thing, as soon as you said you were into horror, everyone just immediately was like, oh, like Hoffman, Saw. And mm. I was like, no, that's, that's not what it is. So I was kind of pleased, although I've never watched it, um, I was kind of pleased when a Serbian film came along. Um, I don't know if they mentioned it in the documentary, Chris. Um, um, I don't think they did, but you've definitely mentioned it before. Yeah, so all these torture films came out and then a Serbian film came along, which was so horrific and disturbing 
that everyone just went, yeah, I That's don't want to be involved in this subgenre anymore. It's disgusting. And everybody walked away and it literally ended it overnight. Mm. Um, so despite the fact I've never seen it, I appreciate it for that. And I, I will never watch it. But it's nice to know that something did manage to be that over the top that it it just killed a horrific subgenre of idiots. Sort of I, think that, I think that's the point. Is it? It's a, it closes the conversation. It's basically, it's like someone. It's like people telling a series of of appalling jokes until you get to the last one, and it's like, yeah, we're going to have to leave this now because this <laughs> has just got bad. <laughs> so, I wish I'd never taken part in this conversation. Yeah, and it just mm-hmm. killed, <laughs> killed the whole thing overnight. So, so yeah. well done to a Serbian film for that. Um, Adam, what have you been watching, mate? Uh, well, uh, for Father's Day, this seems to, and speaking to uh, former guest Dean, this does seem to be the Father's Day film at the moment. Uh, I rewatched The Lighthouse extremely <laughs> loudly. Um, I don't know. I think there was an element where I, I like the idea that it, it sort of reminded me of working with my dad. <laughs> two two men arguing and farting in an enclosed space. I think that's a, so I evoked that, but yeah, that was that, that was good. I just because um, it's just come out on Blu-ray, so I thought, yeah, give it another watch. So I enjoyed that, but and I and weirdly more pertinently to this evening's uh, film, uh, here's a blast from the past for you, Lee. I watched Dream Demon. Oh God! Which has just come out on Arrow. A director's cut version, which I cannot, I cannot for the life of me tell you what the differences are, because it's been a very long time since I saw Dream Demon. But it's basically a British, um, yeah, it's uh, a British um, horror film. The best way I can describe it is Princess Diana is going to marry Posh Dolph Lundgren, and gets really worried about it, and then starts having nightmares when she then meets Chrissy Hind from The Pretenders and for no good reason, uh, two horrible journalists played by Timothy Spool and Jimmy Nail uh, turn up and are very horrible. Very um, Yeah. It's, uh, I, think, I think I summed it up best when I was saying, to, uh, as, as we were watching it, I said to Claire, well, I'll be honest, I don't know what bits are if if any what bits come in from the director's cut but as far as i'm aware this is still making as as little sense as it did in the theatrical version as i remember it but it's still you know it's an entertainingly weird film and oddly oddly reminds me i think it's because it's similar similar time similar place but oddly reminds me a bit of uh, hellraiser and actually, more specifically, uh, Hellraiser 2, because there's a lot of going into cavernous vaults in basements as dreams. And it has that same, uh, the same thing that Nightmare on Elm Street does, uh, probably better, uh, of you are unaware of when you're going in and out of uh, dreams. Hmm. So there'll be bits of it. And then, I mean, admittedly, you know, as soon as like Timothy Spall turns up and he's turned into a half pig man, you're kind of twigged that this bit's a dream. But, <laughs> um, but still, yeah. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was just an entertaining, uh, entertaining evenings viewing. 
Uh, I never realised before, but the music's done by Bill Nelson from Bebop Deluxe, which really, really cheered me up. Nice. And, um, yeah. And weirdly, because uh, it was part of those luminous videotapes, wasn't it, Lee? That's the only way I can describe them. Yes. The, the video, there was a set of videos that came out. I think there was like five or six. And they all had bright, luminous, uh, primary colour uh, sleeves they on were, the videos. It was the Palace Horror releases. So it was mm. Night of the Demons, this, yep. um, Brain Damage, yep. Basket Case, possibly. Um, possibly Basket. Evil Dead 2. Yeah, Evil Dead 2 was on it. Um, and Phenomena, but it was called Shivers. Okay. Yeah, I didn't you know, know the Dario Argento film. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it was yeah, I think it was called Shivers because that's I think that's the American release name or something. Uh but yeah. And uh there's a part of me that wants us to go on and uh, embark on that, but that's maybe to come after we've peaked a hundred. <laughs> you know, if we've done a hundred episodes then we can do, you know, the luminous video palace horror collection uh series and so forth. Yeah, when we really start getting to the bottom of the barrel, I think some of the Palace releases will probably come out. <laughs> How dare you? It's amazing, you know, Basket Case and Night of the Demons and stuff. But um, Yeah, well, actually, that's the point. We've done Night of the Demons, so we screwed that anyway. So wow. there we go. I'd cover Night of the Demons again because, you know, I'd watch it at least every five months or so, so it's fine. Or we can just re-release that episode. Yeah, that's part of it, and have a week off. Anyone, we'll just change the picture and we'll put it back mm-hmm. up, and no one will ever know. Yeah, we'll just put the luminous cover up, and we're done. Luminous card. Um, right, so let's head into this evening's main event. So the original uh, 1984 Nightmare on Elm Street that spawned one of the longest-running franchises, I think, of of horror. <laughs> How, how many? F- no, I, for listeners, he's actually playing that live on a keyboard right now. That is yeah. nice. This is this is the marvelous Korg Volker FM, which is basically mm. a Yamaha uh, DX7, which is what all the horror composers were using in the eighties. So I was just very pleased. Uh, full 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 credit to Claire for working that out because I can't <laughs> read the dots. <laughs> well done Claire um, So let's start with our guest this evening So Dave, had you seen this film before And what did you make of it? No, I hadn't seen the film before um, I enjoyed it more um, The first half than the second half Primarily because I I thought, given what they'd been through, um, although she, you know, quite she's quite heroic, Nancy, she just seemed a bit too chilled out for me. Uh, <laughs> you know, when your mum's put bars at the windows and you can't get out of the house, given what I'd been through, I think I'd have overreacted a bit more than just <laughs> "oh, mum" or whatever she said. Um, you know, and there was uh, yeah, so I, I did enjoy it, um, and but I thought there would be there would be a lot more, uh, you know. Uh, Killings and murders, and there was. I thought half the school's going to be gone before you know this is in. You know, um, so that's not necessarily disappointment. It's just my expectations. Uh, I thought the special effects were very good for 1984. I had to look up, um, you know, uh, what other movies were around then to see where it fitted mm. in. 
especially a long way, you think, well, was that before that or after that? You know, so there was a few of those moments. But yeah, no, I thought, um, and then I, I thought, well, as I got near the end, I thought, oh, they've got to reuse the set again. Everyone's got to go down the boiler room, you know, <laughs> that shared dream that they all have of boiler rooms. Um, so yeah, no, I did enjoy it. Yes, I did. Uh, there was a few loose ends. I didn't quite get, to, to go back to an earlier point, I didn't quite get what the land was doing in the subway at the beginning. I thought that's obviously going to come in the film later, but you know, <laughs> door of the lamb, end of the lamb, that's the lamb. Till till Lee's just mentioned Silence of the Lambs, so I thought, ah, oh, maybe there's some, <laughs> some bit I'm not picking up on. So yeah, so that's my quick summary of it. I'd, I'd be tempted to to forgive her because she hadn't slept for something like was it nine days, and she'd researched that she's allowed up to eleven before she dies, unless Freddie gets her first. Yeah, so, so she might not have the uh, most appropriate responses to, to such situations yeah, at that why. point. I thought she'd have twisted her mum's head off and said, give me the key. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder, though, also, because let's face it, mum's, she's on the sauce. Yeah, she's not she's there, really. Disgusting. Yeah. So, <laughs> it, it, it makes me, it just makes me wonder, is this not entirely unusual? You know what I mean? It's just, is is mum, you know, is there a yeah. lot of flaky, weird shit that goes yeah. on? So, you know, it's, well, well, her, her dad we're only was a seeing bit, this snapshot. Yeah, but her dad wasn't exactly all there, even though he was, like, chief of police. He was a, a little straight. bit... Yeah, you know, but he was a little bit vacant in his those. responses to her. I'm assuming that they're separated. It's not really made clear yeah. in the film, but mm-hmm. they're clearly the mum and dad are separated, that impression. I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're not exactly friendly with each other. No. That's true. They're not necessarily good but, indicators, but yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if if yeah, anything, things might have improved. <laughs> like, separation. Like when a mum takes her down to the cellar and the old boy, she's <laughs> never been worshipped yeah. between and she reaches up the top and out pops the glove, it's like, well... You know, okay, you're not a bit shocked your mum's been keeping That's that. a bit weird. Yeah. That's that why we've had no hot water for ages? What's going on? <laughs> that's, that's definitely a point where, you know, Nancy, why would you keep that? What are you Where's doing? Where's the other one? Yeah, why, why have you kept a child killer's murder weapon? <laughs> I made a note yeah. of that. I was like, you yeah. know, like when you go to the baseball and you catch the home run ball, like, you don't go, this is the... the this is the guy who molested and murdered a lot of children in my street. I want a yeah. souvenir of this to show my grandkids. Like, yeah. it's not the first thing on your mind, I felt. No. But I don't it's okay. That. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's okay because mommy burnt him. So he can't mm. hurt you anymore. But I, I do think gonna... that one thing it's taught us, vigilante, vigilantism is not the way forward. Bad outcomes happen. Mm. Mm, it's half and half, I think. Yeah, I'll take the risk. I think it's that bit, actually, I was reading, which I th- something that was quite interesting, I think they should have maybe kept it in, is apparently that bit in the basement was longer. They had more sort of to go, there, there was more that was going on in it. His and own shoes and coat. And pants. Yeah, yeah, the whole lot came out, his pants. Yeah, is his going away bag. The dog totally. lead that he used to walk around the park with just in case. Oh no, I'm looking yeah. for a lost dog. <laughs> um, he's invisible perhaps he's got an invisible dog lead I don't know you know, he's a bit of a wisecracker that Alfred as he is in this film Fred Krueger as he's credited as yeah um, 
but yeah, I just thought, but, but apparently there was like, she was basically going to say, oh, yeah, none of you were single, uh, you know, none of you were only children. So the implication was going to be is that, you know, Nancy mm. and so on, they'd all had older siblings who were victims of Freddie, which sort of, I think, would have maybe hit it home more. I don't know. I mean, it's already pretty hard-hitting, I suppose. But yeah, uh, I think also, been... also, you buy a new glove. I'm sorry. <laughs> but one with a big hole in the end and everything else. Come on, Fred. Buck your ideas up. Yeah, I think it would possibly make you slightly more... Not that I'm not sympathetic to the fact that they did it to save their children from what could have potentially happened, but the idea that if they'd all already lost a child to this man, then it mm. would make them going after him possibly more palatable for a, a, you know, a mainstream audience, perhaps. But um, I I, Weirdly enough, I don't think a mainstream audience has too much problem with burning a child, a child molester murderer to death. But I just think that it sort of it it implies more of a reason why the parents would be involved. Plus the fact, presumably, the dad's involved because they do do a lot of looks at, like the mum and the dad do looks at each other when she's saying about a man in a hat and his name is Fred or whatever like that. So the dad's clearly involved. So this yeah. was probably mm. more this was probably more than just vigilante justice and quite possibly. The police were aware, helping and deputising. Yeah, mm. not that bothered, frankly. <laughs> you know, obviously when he when he got let off on the technicality of not signing the right warrant, obviously when he came out the stage and said, "And I'd like my glove back, please." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what and that's what has... kicks it off. <laughs> exactly, yeah. um, I did. I, that's what I, did so it. I watched the 2010 remake in the run up to this. Mm. Um, yeah, really don't bother. I thought you looked pissed off. Well, well, I watched the first 10 minutes of it and I thought the bit in the, um, the diner looked pretty good. But I haven't watched any more because I didn't want to get even more confused which film I was watching remembering <laughs> yeah. and not remembering. Yeah, no, I mean, it, 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 it's quite a good... And it added some really good ideas. So it had a, an idea of micro-napping, which is after you've been mm. awake for three days, your brain starts to shut down even when you're active and doing stuff. So you'll have like two or three seconds where your your brain shut well, down, and you don't even realise it. Yeah, at so all. Yeah, you're asleep and you don't know. So mm. the idea is he can. It's called being at work, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I quite liked that, but but the thing they did touch on with that, which which I remember when I because I took the day off work to go and watch it when it was released at the cinema, so I could be in there at ten o'clock for the first showing, and the thing that did pissed me off and then I'm glad they backtracked on it was they did imply that Freddie hadn't done it um, and ah, they were yeah. wrongly accused and that's mm. why he'd come back to take vengeance because it was all false allegations and blah yeah and I was literally at the point of I was like shall I just, there's only five of us in the cinema but shall I get up and leave anyway just because why would you do that um, yeah. yeah and they let that run for about 10 minutes and then they were like Oh no, we've just found his abuse basement, and we all remember what it looks like. So he definitely did. Um, so, were, so yeah. was it abuse? Because I thought in in the history of horror, they said it definitely wasn't abuse. They changed it. I think Wes Craven considered that, but then decided definitely not to. It's not implicit in the originals. It's implied. Hmm. 
it's implied. Um, yeah, yeah, you definitely get over, that impression. Yeah. That's, I was surprised when they said, or at least I, I'm fairly certain that's what they said, that it really wasn't meant to be. And it was for some reason something about um, it being too bad at the time, or there was it was it was like something like jumping on the fact that there were a lot of news stories about it at the time. Mm-hmm. You didn't want it to be connected. I, I think it was because you were beginning to get the ball rolling on the whole satanic panic. Yeah. Mm. Uh, which was a lot of, you know, pretty much almost all falsely dreamt up. But um, there, I think it was just, it was something that you, it's almost like that old Hollywood thing of, you know, as time goes on, you're, you can be more overt with what you're talking about. But they're mm. like, well, it's already kind of, you know, he's a child killer, which, yeah. you know, and if you, and frankly, if you know any, any sort of serial killer thing, you know that that is going to be sexually motivated anyway. So, mm. but I think it was just one of those things where it's like, right, it's a 1980 film, even though we've got, Gorgalore, and we've got people getting stabbed and everything else like that. That's probably just a bit too far to put in something that is essentially entertainment. If you mm. see what I mean, I think it was just they just decided, well, it's already you know he's he's already despicable. Yeah. We probably don't have to uh, yeah, sort of egg this up. Yeah. yeah, and I appreciate that. To be fair, I mean. Obviously, I'm not saying, you know, child killing is fine, but I, I think, yeah, like if you make someone a villain, you don't have to go the full, um, you know, Guillermo del Toro to the point where every time that character's on screen, they literally make you want to vomit. You don't, you yeah. don't have to go that far with it. Oh, Christ, imagine this by Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh, yeah, I don't think there'd be a, there, there wouldn't be like a... a a follow-up of eight movies where he's increasingly the hero with wisecracks. Yeah. Mm. You know, it'd just be, it'd just be a lot of people felt sick and then they just buried the film under concrete because <laughs> he would have just made him so hateful. <laughs> so so they did say that, um, that the, the one-liners increase quite a lot and possibly a little too much at points. Well, this is something that Claire said coming to it. Is actually we decided because mostly because of Rick and Morty, with because uh, that was one of the things when they have Scary Terry, uh, a Nightmare on Scary Street or whatever it's called, and they have basically Freddy turns up in an episode of Rick and Morty. It's quite I think it's like the first or second one, um, mm. and it's just the bit and it was like the first time that I really belly laughed at Rick and Morty it's just one bit where Morty goes well gee Rick he really says bitch a lot <laughs> and I was like right okay so what we'll do is we'll do a bitch count on this one mm. not a single bitch no which apart from oh no there was one it was Claire <laughs> Claire said it so you know still don't count but um yeah, there wasn't a single one in it, but it's almost something that I'm, I'm assuming by the time we're watching Dream Warriors, I can think of at least two already <laughs> in, in that. So, you know, I think it does... That increases Freddy's, Freddy's appearances, increases. Uh, mm. And I think it's... Weirdly, it's because of Robert Englund more than sort of something... 
because um, what's his name? Uh, Wes Craven just wanted to hire a stuntman. A bit like how, like with Michael Myers or with Jason Voorhees, where if you you basically get a stuntman because you've got this strong silent killer who needs to be able to be pushed downstairs and set fire to and mm. beaten the shit, had the shit beaten out of him and do big jumps and stuff like that. And um, basically, yeah, they couldn't get a stuntman who could deliver lines in any sort of effective manner. So, yeah, so eventually, like, they got Robert Englund in, and, but he, because of how well he does it, that then was like, well, we've got this gift here of this guy who's really doing this well. Hmm. So we'll make we'll make more of that, and it's so, again it's back to the thing of just the public like Freddie. Yeah, mm. I was wondering how much of the the voice is Robert England, and how much effects they apply to it because he does seem to change his voice quite well throughout, depending on you know, like because he goes to sort of a growl and I believe high pitch. The majority so. of the voice is him. Um, mm. Yeah, they might pitch it a bit. Okay. Yeah. I think they pitch it a, down a, a touch, but I think it's mainly Robert Englund because I have seen him sort of just do the Freddy voice, mm. like when he's being interviewed and stuff like that. So okay, but I think yeah, that's cool. I think there's another thing that 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 it kind of failed on the the remake is uh, as good as uh, um... Billy Joe Osment. <laughs> no, it's not Prince Tiny. Sa- Sammy Lee Nan- Nankos. <laughs> you piece of shit. You know exactly what his name is, and you're winding me up. I'm gonna have to look it up. Um, bond Bondi C. Coltrane. <laughs> I'm gonna slap you next time. Um, Jackie. Sally L- Dean Panton. <laughs> uh, Jackie O. Haley. Um, That's it. The one from Green Day. Yeah. <laughs> um, it obviously he's, he's a great actor. He really is, but. I think part of what let the film down was the fact that Robert England did encompass that, did create that character and really brought it to the screen. Mm. Um, whereas Jackie Earl Haley, he tried with the voice and he tried to kind of drop it and make it a bit gravelly and it didn't work. Um, mm. And he looks to be about five foot nothing. So compared to Robert England, he hasn't got that. Because that was the thing, like he's supposed to be against teenagers so obviously mm. Robert England kind of towers over Johnny Depp and, and the other actors in it and gives him that size and that scare. Although it's you know, he's not superhumanly large, he's that much bigger. Yeah, he, he's not he's not a hulking brute, but he no. is clearly an adult. Yeah, mm. as opposed to these teenagers who are supposed to, I still love the line when uh, Heather Langenkamp looks in the mirror and goes, Oh my god, I look twenty years old. I was like, Fuck yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Jackie O'Haley hasn't got the height either, so he's literally kind of almost looking up at these teenagers and trying to do this gravelly voice um, with terrible CGI makeup, and it's just an absolute mess. It's at any point, do the people hold him like at arm's length on his forehead, and, and he just swings ineffectually at them <laughs> beneath? So that's the point in in the first. Well, in, in the film that I've seen, you know, he has those fantastic arms in, early in the film that extend out. Yeah. That's me extending them out. I should be tickling Lee's ear here. Or <laughs> and then, 
but he never used them later on. Either either he's forgotten how to extend his arms, you know, <laughs> so, to reach up through the window and reach round and reach through the prison. You know, he, he, hmm. he'd go through the prison bars. A lot of those supernatural powers he seems to forget now. In the late, isn't that? Is that? I thought that's sort of the the comedy. Is he just does something a bit weird and it's a bit different every time, just because it's like dream. I think. Is yeah. It? Oh, okay. So, so it's the one who's dreaming it, who's imagining to have the big arms. Yeah. So gets, oh. If you don't no, I never thought of him that way. Yeah. 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 You could be right. Yeah. To the person so, having the dream is manipulating what his abilities are. Because it's whatever they're kind of scared of, he really enhances. Yeah. So that's an interesting take. I like that, Chris. Lack, lack imagination. Be a simpleton and you'll <laughs> go through life fine. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. true. Yeah. That, that does become a larger point, actually. You saying that, Dave, you could well be right because that is what ends up getting them in the later films is it's mm. either whatever they're obsessed with or whatever they're scared of is what Freddy ends up becoming. So in the first film, he, he just kind of kills them and slashes them. But yeah, in the later ones, obviously they're in Elm Street 4, there's the girl who's scared of bugs and he catches her in a bug mm. trap. Mm. Um, and there's the girl... What is it? The uh, the asthmatic girl. He suffocates her and stuff. So it kind of the kills that later on are more tailored to the individual. So you could be right. Mm. Be that he, although he's in their dreams, he's using their illicit fears against them. So it would be down to their their yeah, imaginations. He, that that's what he, gives him the different powers. Mm. Yeah, he's within their dreamscape manipulating things but he can only work with the tools that are there i think it's a lovely idea but i think mm-hmm. I, i'm 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 willing to listen i'm a doc i'm a doctor who fan i can stretch a point mate. <laughs> right i i will i will crowbar this logic in every fucking film i promise <laughs> i will find ways of me i'm gonna go and get another one. Oh yeah no, <laughs> But yeah, no, that, that is a great idea, actually. I think... That really is. I yeah. like that a lot. And it I think it's... Bit. Yeah, a nice, nice, nicely done. Well done, Chris, because I think that is a... Yeah, I think that is... That is a new take on it that I... And considering how long I have, what you know, known these films and read about them and stuff like that, that is a, that is a new sort of element or a new strand in it and it's actually i mean and at that point is that the although it turns out to be a fairly false victory is that the point with nancy where it's like well you're nothing yeah mm. so he but so yeah, if she right, no so longer she no longer come on sees him a threat but so but, he can't do anything but how does that work with the next scene Oh fuck knows! I think that was <laughs> apparently <laughs> Wes, apparently Wes Craven just want, wanted it to be that ending. He wanted it as a happy ending. But also, oh, he wanted it to end with Freddie falling through into nothingness. Yeah, and then that she was wakes up. The end, right? And then she yeah. wakes up, and it was all a dream. Her friends are but all, but yeah, it was all a dream. All, legitimately, it's all a mass, one massive nightmare. Her friends are all alive. Mm. Uh, her mum's dressed for some reason like a dentist's assistant and saying that she's going to give up the booze. Um, her legs aren't ridiculously rubbery. Um, 
but yeah, and then and apparently the the it's like a compromise version. Uh, yeah, we've already done that. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Claire was just asking about the uh, the uh, sheep. Oh, in the opening, I was like, no, we we have already considered what the fuck. Um, <laughs> we have no answer for that one. Is it lambs to the slaughter? We don't know. Maybe she's scared of sheep. Tina's scared of sheep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, but yeah, and, and apparently the uh, like one of the producers or, or something wanted it was going to be that they all got in the car and then Freddie was driving mm. and sort of was laughing and driving off with them. Or that, that would like be that. a more normal-ish kind of ending. Yeah. Obviously, that, what, um, so having seen, so I think it was number three, fairly certain that's the one I've seen, um, the car being striped is a hint at how the films start to go where they get a bit more surreal and a bit, he, mm. he becomes stranger. Well, yeah. that's almost comedy, isn't it? Really? Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's how it starts to go. Is just which way is the scene going to go? Comedy yeah. or serious? Rubbing and, and especially the the way he pulls the mother through the window is that sort of. It, I mean, my impression is they weren't trying to make that look too realistic. No, because they could have just opened the door and pulled her in. It got, that's yeah, true. Actually, yeah. She'll never fit through that window, which she will be made out of rubber. Yeah. When she's, when she's made out of rubber, we can suck her through here like, like someone's put a hole in the side of an aeroplane. Yeah. And, uh, but also, funnily enough, the, the, they said, uh, what was it? Um, oh, is it Rubber Man or Elastic Man? There's a superhero who's red, who sort of like wears red and yellow. He's got glasses or like goggles. Hmm. And he can stretch. He's a bit like Mr. Fantastic in the Fantastic Four, but I think he was DC's version of it. And he was this guy who was like in red and yellow, and he could sort of stretch and do all sort of elastic body changing and stuff like that. And because they kind of wanted to do that with Freddie, that was going to be the colour of his jumper was going to be red and yellow because of that character. Hmm. And then. Um, and then Wes Craven read that red the worst and gr- two colours to yeah. together yeah. red and green don't they're like they <laughs> the hardest the, to the see human properly. eye yeah. and that's why he um, he stuck him in the in uh, why it changed to red and green but yeah so that kind of thing of like him stretching over the car almost and things like that either that or he's just a bit uh, Tim Burton you know where it's like <laughs> I'm Tim Burton, so I'm going to put stuff in this that's all like uh, uh, swirly black and white stripes because <laughs> I'm Timothy Burton and that's what I do. Um, but yeah. The thing, the thing with, with Freddie, as you were saying about the jumper, I think that's why it works as one of, in my mind, the most iconic horror character of all time is every part of it fits together. So you've got that jumper that's specifically designed to be unpleasant to the eye. Um, the hat he he said he he was he looked out of his bedroom window one day and saw a creepy old man looking it looking up from the street. So like he kind mm. of heard a noise in the street, looked out through his bedroom window, and there was a man in that brown hat standing under a streetlight staring at him. So that kind of infused into him. Um, the burns obviously is a, a look that nobody's done before. The glove is as iconic as anything you can think of. And I just, well, the, glo- the glove he said was t- 
talons. He wanted, they wanted a weapon that was easy to transport, presumably also just from a point of view of you get stopped by the police, that glove is clearly a prop. You get yeah. stopped by the police with a chainsaw in your boot, <laughs> you've got to answer a few more questions. <laughs> it's it's but, funny though, right? Just using one glove adds to it because the only other... Do you think of Michael Jackson? Of, so immediately you're back on... <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, nearly. Now I was thinking of Wolverine and he isn't scary and he's got exactly the same um, hands with knives on, but somehow it's not at all scary. Whereas... I don't know if it's the one or the fact that it is an old-looking glove. Somehow, it, it has a much eerier look to it. I think mm. in my mind, it was the fact that he can grab you with the other hand. Obviously, he can't mm. grab you with the knives. The fact he can still grab you with one hand and still have that free, I think, was why. Also, mm. midway, midway through midway through your murder spree or whatever like that, you're probably going to have to have a poo. And you, yeah. you want a non-gloved hand at that point. You're going to have to eat. You're going to have to undo your zipper if you need to go to the bathroom. Eating's no problem with that hand. You just... A buffet. A friend glove is perfect. Yeah, eating meatballs off the pizza in Elm Street 4. Yep. Uh, Apparently apparently the knives are um, tomato knives as well. Okay. I don't know if that's relevant or not. And um, what's his name? Wes Craven said that it was also cat claws. Yeah. Yeah, that I he was that one, yeah. thinking of as well, because it's mm. that. That's why Freddie does the sort of like flicks them, flicks the hand open, so they sort of look like they've sprung out, mm. like you say, like Wolverine or something like that, where it's like they're almost sort of hinged. Or, um, I think you know, it's it's odd the amount of thought. That's that sounds horrible because it now sounds like I'm just saying that everyone else sort of just tosses something off and just goes for it but Wes Craven really really puts a lot of thought into uh, everything about Freddy oh yeah yeah as you say there's no part of his there's no part of his persona his backstory his costume everything has got a reason even though it's only a reason that's specific to um, to Wes Craven and that's kind of the point that none of it matches that the hat and the jumper don't match and they don't the fact that yeah. burnt, like they're all very different things that obviously scare him so to put them all together it, it is a mismatch and it kind of makes him such an iconic character because he kind of is a collage of strange things which, mm. which kind of makes well, it stand out it's, it's weird it's almost like that thing that the League of Gentlemen do where a lot of their characters, especially like the weirder stuff, like Papa Lazarus and things, are all born out of in-jokes between them and like impersonations of people they know and stuff like that. And I think, again, like you say, a lot of it, it's, it might be like the hat is clearly just specific to Wes Craven because he was the person who saw the creepy like, guy outside his house one day. But that still infuses and works everything else. And then you've got that, you've got all that look, and then you have the luck to stick it on Robert Englund, who can then embody Freddie's sort of personality. Because he doesn't really, it doesn't really come out in this one. But that's presumed, as much. you know, a director has that vision in their head. Mm. You know, so 
So because they've got the passion and people work for them and have to get their wages away, they drive that through people. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully it comes out on the screen. And obviously a lot of film directors, they have a vision. It doesn't come out on the screen and mm. it's a flop. That one mm. was so good. They thought, never mind your ending. You've got to stick some other endings because we're going to do some more. You know? Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I think also probably, I think it's just weirdly enough, after what you've built Freddie up to be, a nice ending w- would weaken him. Yeah. Because it's like, if you've got, if you've got a weakness that is literally just like, right, I'm, no, I'm just going to ignore you. Sick of sight of you. Piss off. Go on. <laughs> and I'm tired. You know, I'm just bored of it now, Fred. Just leave it. And that immediately just robs it of any power. Whereas that's sort of the ending that you do get at least sort of, yeah, you can spin more sequels out and you can also... Yeah, it's four of them in the car, so mm. even if she doesn't believe, if three do, you know, the time the blood's all splurting around, you know. She, yeah. Uh, it's back to that shared thing, in it? If there's enough people who believe in it, then that mm. becomes the reality. Yeah. He's like Although a he's like, think about. believed in, you know, convertible roof being those colours, that's possibly a bit yeah. of thought power that's too much, you know. Um, but, like, yeah, saying how iconic he was, I mean, before I'd seen any of the films um, or even any clips it like it went round I think our primary school and the um, the rhyme one two Your poor caretaker. Is coming for you what's that yeah is that what you call the caretaker from then on <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 But, but it did it, it took on such a um, like we were all talked about it and it was like whoa you know the things that happened in this and and it, it became so such a real character even before it's in any of the films it just spread so much um that was lee's doing because he, uh, he yeah. spread with yeah. his posters yeah exactly and, and and that is what it is as i say it captured my imagination there's enough even having not seen the films and know the story there's enough of the appearance of that character and the fact that he can come into your dreams and manipulate mm. reality there's enough there to inspire my imagination that I was obsessed for years without having ever seen any of the films and really know any of the storylines of any of them, you know, individually. Yeah, the same. I th- and the same for me. I think, I think people underestimate the power of the, of the video shop, mm. you know, and you'd go, you'd go in there and you'd, you know, you knew all the, the covers like all the Nightmare on Elm Street covers was, you know, and it's, yeah, there's just so much, um, what's the word? You know, there is, it was something that became, a, you know, it became fairly quickly a modern myth. Yeah. Which is kind of what, again, is what the, the new nightmare deals with. I was just that you say, it is that proof of the Tolpa of although you don't yes. have the stories, there's enough, fear and intrigue in the character just yeah. the appearance and the very little that you know that people become genuinely fascinated and terrified with it without really knowing a lot about it and it, it is that yeah it gives it power it gives it substance outside of the fiction um and i th- and like you say i think again you know a work of genius from Wes Craven's point of view is that you've got, you know, he attacks you in your dreams. It's mm. fairly primal. 
you know it's yeah. not it's yeah, not you're just not safe you can't yeah be safe you should i mean let's face it being asleep should be safe yeah or you know even the idea of you know being woken from your sleep mm. by something is scary or you know if something was to come and attack you in your sleep but to actually attack you within yourself while you sleep because it's not even at that point there's not even the safety of someone watching over you sleeping Hmm. Especially if it's Johnny fucking Depp who can't keep yeah, his I was eyes open. Say, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. I, th- I thought he was going to have a much bigger role in it. I didn't realise just how useless he was. Oh no, well, he's like awful. He's had yeah. that hot little portable TV on his lap yeah. for years and his headphones on. <laughs> but, but yeah, he had one job and failed it however many times. I bet he's had a lot of jobs and failed it, to be fair. It wasn't just that one. But yeah. <laughs> anyone we saw. I did, I did also, thinking about your point, Lee, where you're saying about, you know, Freddie can menace these people because he is physically larger. He's obviously, this is Johnny Depp's first film, so he hasn't got the clout that means that he's allowed to stand on a box. So, <laughs> you know, you realise that he's actually not that tall. So it's like that bit when he's outside giving it, uh, giving it large to, um, well, whoever's in the garden, you know, they better come out. And it's like, what yeah. are you going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do? Comb your hair out. What, what are you going to do, Johnny? Come on. Come on, mate. <laughs> I also, I also watching this, and this was, again, sort of watching it with Claire and um, like a fresh pair of eyes watching it, is, curiously enough, you have, this is like a combo of the 80s in so much as Johnny Depp's wandered in from Ferris Bueller's Day Off <laughs> in that he's like the smart ass kid who climbs up the trellis to go and visit his girlfriend in a or yeah or, yeah. Rings his, or rings his mum with a tape recording of planes going over here because he's <laughs> meant to be somewhere else and it's all very sort of ferris bueller that sort of mm. type of character and then obviously nancy then becomes uh macaulay culkin in home alone yeah and yeah, that's part of the, the house <laughs> I had to look out and think, was she doing Home Alone or did Home Alone do that? You know? but <laughs> she led the way. She did. Mm. But it's the time frame that gets me. So, I, didn't, I again, I've seen this film probably 30 times, but, but watching it, this, watching it uh, this week. Yeah, so she phones her dad. So Johnny Depp is supposed to come over at midnight. Mm. He gets murdered. The police are on the scene. What's the well, earliest that's going to be? With it, they are there within minutes. Aren't They're they? there within ten minutes. Yeah. Um, she speaks to her dad. She says, "Right, come and wake me at half past." So she's got twenty minutes. In that twenty minutes, she sets up a slide bolt on the door, <laughs> sledgehammer. She she gets a load of shotgun cartridges from God knows. I don't think her mum kept a shotgun. She gets <laughs> those cartridges. She puts them all in the. Well, they're probably downstairs along with like machetes left over from fucking Friday the yeah. 13th and all the other memorabilia. When I'm Jason Voorhees. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> In the Black Museum, aka the basement of the Thompsons, yeah. you know. <laughs> and the rifle that actually killed Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> two rifles, two. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and she manages to set all that up within 10 minutes and then get to sleep so that her alarm can wake her up at half past midnight. Like, that's, that's pretty good going. I mean, if you compare that to when we watched Dog Soldiers, it's, they had all night to barricade that house, and they were soldiers, and they didn't manage it. And yet she manages to get a, you know, 
a sledgehammer attached to a coat hanger hanging up above a door and yeah. She is on the no dose pills though, isn't she? Yeah. Mm. That's true. Pills that, pills that are labelled basically. These will keep yeah, you away. We'll Hello. <laughs> under, also, coffee machine under the bed. Under the bed, yeah. Her mum doesn't smell that. Her mum doesn't smell that. Her mum doesn't ask where the spare coffee machine's gone. Because what did she do? Order it? That is... And there is... The one bit that did get me, though, was when she goes to the police station and her dad's there. It's like, Dad, what are you doing here? Oh, there's an unsolved murder going on. It's not unsolved as far as you're concerned. You've got him in custody. Yeah. You know, what are you, what are you talking yeah, what, about? What are you text? doing sitting there all night? Like, what's going to happen? Yeah. But... Um, um, yeah, <laughs> one thing that did make me laugh that I had to make a note of, because I, I do think this is a pretty well written film considering how early it was in uh, Wes Craven's career and stuff. Um, but when um, Nancy goes to the Dream Doctor and they've got them, they've got mm. her all hooked up to the machines, and her mum's talking to her, and he says, "We don't know what dreams are really. They are incredible body hocus pocus." And this is a man who's a dream expert who works at the university. Science is fucked. They haven't got a clue what they're on about. Do you know what's even more fucked? Do you know who that guy is? I recognised him, but I couldn't place him. Well, he's, he's in lots of stuff. He's in Zodiac. He's in Carry On Columbus. Uh, a guy called uh, Charles Fleischer. He is the voice of Roger Rabbit. <laughs> is he really? Yes. Oh, God. Well, there you go. That explains it all then. No wonder he doesn't... Please, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> And also, just where'd you get that hat from? I don't want to ask. Yeah, the, yeah, the dream doctor never asks how she manages to pull a physical thing out of her dream. He's just a bit. Yeah. He's, just a, he's not a doctor about what's up with women's skirts. He's a doctor in the head. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's, he's, cut, that. he's <laughs> coming. He's just gone. That's unusual for a Tuesday. <laughs> he's still freaked out about the numbers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I've got to do, I've got to do a big up to John Saxon though, who obviously oh, yeah. is the top name in this because he was the most famous. Well, probably, apart from Robert Robert England, probably still is actually. But I mean, obviously, Enter the Dragon, Tenebrae, just so many damn movies that man's been in. Yeah, and lots of, and lots of good horror, lots of good horror, lots of. Good wait, that, that's the that's the father. Yes. Uh, I thought I'd recognise him. Yeah, yeah, he's in uh, loads of stuff. Um, uh, from Dust Till Dawn. Uh, I haven't seen that one. Oh, it's a really good one. It's got uh, him and uh, the voice of Todger Rabbit, which is the whole <laughs> version of Roger Rabbit, if you've never seen it. Really good. Really good. Because you can't I believe, you know, they've, they've synced up people and animation so well. And it was the 50s. <laughs> You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got to be said. I mean, as you said, really, um, yeah, Johnny Depp obviously went on to loads. Lynn Shay stayed in horror, but has always only ever been bit parts. Um, Chris, did you recognise Lynn Shay? The teacher. She was the te the English teacher of Nancy. Um, she was also the radio operator in Critters. Uh, and Dean is basically the inaugural 
champion of the Lin Shay Appreciation Society. There was actually a film, I can't remember what it was called now, but there was a film uh, Bobby from Not For Everyone recommended to me, which she was, uh, she was like the star of, um, which sounded like a really good, like creepy thriller, essentially. Um, but I can't for the life of me remember the title of it. Uh, but uh, one day I will, and, you know, that'll happen. But yeah, fairly <laughs> recently. And, she, and she's in, um, uh, what's the bowling film? Kingpin. Kingpin. Kingpin, that's it, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, she plays a horrible role in that. She's brilliant. Mm. Um, and then, of course, she, she made it big fairly recently again in the Insidious movies. Mm. Yes, of course, yeah. So she's yeah. found a whole new audience again, which uh, which is, is great. I mean, she's a fantastic actress, but it's funny that, I mean, obviously she's Bob Shay's uh, sister. I believe so, yes. Um, yeah, right. so Bob Shay, who runs New Line Cinema and funded all of these films. It's, uh -huh. So I think she kind of got in from him doing little character roles, but then was just totally absorbed by the horror um, uh, a fanboy world as a as a bit mm. of an icon and has now yeah gone on to prove herself on her own worth which is fantastic well i think there's a lot of uh, well i mean actually um i don't know if you i don't know if you're aware heather, heather langenkamp actually um co-owns a company called afx which is a makeup and special effects studio i didn't and know. they they did uh they were uh, they did cabin in the woods and um mm the remake of Dawn of the Dead, uh, a few other bits and pieces. But yeah, so she's sort of like gone on to, she's been in, I mean, she's in, she's in the most recent Hellraiser, actually. She was kind of like one of the selling points is we've got Heather Langenkamp in this. And it's like, yeah, for literally a minute. Oh, really? No, yeah. So how, she's, she, how did she get into the AFX business though? Was that because she, she just, you know, got some money from the film and she thought, Let's invest in this because there's got to be money to be made here. The amount of time they spend putting up makeup on and special I think that I think that may have been the case, but I mean, it does. AFX seem to be a fairly sort of well, I say recent, but like sort of certainly mm. seems to be more the last sort of like last sort of 10, 15 years or something like that seems to be where she's been doing that because I mean, she's not really done a lot. Um, I don't think she's got that many, certainly not that many film credits, but she's got like a lot she's sort of building up more now for like special effects and things like that and like I say she's got this company that sounds like so, those sort of gold rush you make your money selling the wheelbarrows and the picks and you know yeah all the oh definitely and, you know maybe she's smart enough to say you know what that's the best <laughs> bit to be invested well I mean, I mean certainly well actually weirdly enough I mean they did say about she she wanted uh, I don't know if she took it or not but she wanted the prop of the uh, the phone you know, the oh, mouth, really? tongue, phone, yeah. So maybe even <laughs> just then she was intrigued by, like, the effects of it. Who wouldn't? So, <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, this is something else that apparently, uh, because obviously they show Evil Dead, she's watching Evil Dead on the television. I was you know, going to say, watching? what was she watching? Yeah. yeah, she's watching Evil Dead. And so in Evil Dead 2, Freddy's glove is on the wall in the mm. shed. When... Bruce Campbell goes in and he's like getting his chainsaw arm ready and everything. One of the things it, it, just hanging on, on one of the things is Freddie's glove. But apparently 
the original Freddy's glove prop was in this and it's in number two. Then they, then they lent it to the guys uh, like Sam Raimi's lot for doing evil dead three. It came back for number, it came back for uh, nightmare on Elm street three and went missing. And it is suspected that Robert Englund's agent might have it. So yeah. So someone's obviously just walked out at the end of the day again, you know, you wanted a weapon that was easy to transport and easy to sort of take around. <laughs> well, that's what happened. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. No one's nicked a tank off the set before, but yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Freddie's glove's gone walkabout. So yeah. But, um, but yeah, it was the original. It was the same prop for at least three films. Yeah, it's, um, it's in the... So the... Uh, is it Never Sleep Again, the documentary, I think? Yes, yeah, I've, still, I've still got to watch that, actually. It's fantastic. It's really good. It is four and a half hours long. Um, but it does like cover, yeah, and it, it does cover the entire the entire franchise. Um, but yeah, they do mention that quite a lot. It, it went missing from set like halfway through filming the third film, and, yeah, and effectively put the film back by a week because everything had to stop <laughs> until a new prop could be created that was perfect for the original. Did they do that bit where they say we're going to turn all the lights off? Glove. <laughs> <laughs> And after six or seven days, it's like, okay, put the lights up again. <laughs> One of you have got the glove. I'm not angry. I'm not angry. Who's that about and... around his ass where he's been wiping his hands? <laughs> <laughs> Don't suspect him. That's the no one. one's going to be in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> either, either that, you just, you just have to go and find who's got the neatest hedges. Uh, <laughs> or a Cinderella bit. Put your hand in, you know. <laughs> Who the glove fits. <laughs> oh, man. Cool. I was going to say, going on to the sequels, actually, um, I know we mentioned them vaguely, so I'd just be interested to know, um, Dave, will you be following any of the sequels having watched the, uh, the first Elm Street movie? Well, I think when the next one comes along, I will probably almost certainly watch it to see how they developed it with the car and the woman through the window and all that stuff. Um, I was going to watch the remake one because I liked the first 10 minutes, but now you've kind of said, don't worry about it. You know, I probably won't watch that one. Um, do you know, I'd, I'd say if you've got it, you say if you've recorded it off of yeah. you know, Sky or whatever, give it a go. On Netflix, yeah. I, I just think for me, because I'm such a fan of the original, I was... L- I think I'm more likely to nitpick at it. Um, it and again, it, uh, we said this from the off, you know, a lot of those films, if you showed somebody now who was younger, who was, you know, 18 years old, you show them the original, it's going to look a bit dated and they're not necessarily going to accept mm. it. So I appreciate that the, the new ver- version has been made for them and not for me. Um, but, yeah, there was just a lot of things about it that didn't didn't compare. But because I've got such, you know, and you you've watched the original and enjoyed it, but I've got such a massive affiliation for it. It's such a large part of my life. Um, yeah, well, you're probably like it's been to read the book and then because most films of books are changed, they get really mm-hmm. annoyed. It's like ah, they've they've changed that. They're not allowed. Uh, yeah, you know, you're right. You get it locked in your head. Well, I, I, I'll tell you, I should watch it and I should tell you how I feel about it. We would be very glad to hear. Yeah, definitely. Please do. I'd appreciate that. Um, 
What about you, Chris? Are you going to be likely to uh, catch up on any of the later movies? Well, so, so I, you know, after what you said, I definitely would quite like to watch the remake because of that reason. That I, I still have a slight difficulty getting fully immersed in most films that are before uh, probably 2000-ish. Uh, it's just something about the look that, yeah, it's harder to fully immerse in it. So, you know, possibly the remake might, um, aside from the fact you said you didn't quite like the start, but then you, you liked it by the end more? Um, no, I liked no, it okay. a, a bit like Dave. Like, that's it, looking forward to. <laughs> mm. It started off quite strong. As I say, the, there were a lot of things I liked about it. Visually, it was pretty good. Uh, it's got a really good cast as well. That's the other thing. The cast in it's really really strong um I, I just feel freddie was miscast yeah and because i've grown up with freddie as i say i mean i didn't see them until i was i mean i've been a fan of freddie since the second movie came out so since i was seven so i've kind of been following him for 35 years so to to then give me a different mm. actor playing that character uh, well, let's say that was 10 years ago, so I've been following for 25 years. But uh, but nevertheless, you know, a character I was that familiar with and yeah. to, to then take that actor out and put in somebody else. Uh, and again, remove the practical effects and replace it all with CG. That's the other thing that upsets me. So mm. definitely watch the remake, but you'll see what I mean. So in this, the scene where Nancy's in bed and Freddie comes out of the wall above her, yeah, right, so that's she's like, brilliant in this. Yeah, it looks stunning. No special effects. That is lighting, and it's literally a piece of spandex. Yeah, a hole in the wall, and he leans against it. In the remake, they do the same scene, but they CGI it, and it looks absolutely fucking atrocious. It just looks so unrealistic, and it's it, it really takes away from it to think that they've spent all this money. And it looks shit. Whereas they could have done it for nothing, and it, it just looked incredible. It just. Right, but that's funny though, because that was one of the effects in this film that I really didn't like. Oh really? Be because to me it looked so obviously that it was a bit of rubber that he was pushing against, rather than it being the wall. Ah, uh, see, so maybe yes. Yeah, so, so watch the remake, and I'm mm. to see what you. And the same with you, Dave, as well. See what you. Well, it's interesting because that bit about the wall, it was quite good because, you know, they bring up the crucifix and all that. And you think, oh, it's mm. going to be going to save them. But really, nobody at all gets knocked off the wall five minutes later. So that was quite a good twist on the old, you know, mm. uh, the Bible's going to save you stuff. It, no, just just <laughs> the thing that falls over. So I thought that was quite good in that film. Um, yeah, and, and, and did, did she, did her company do the special effects in the remake? I don't well, I mean, think they did. No, I don't think I don't think they did. No. Otherwise, um, it would at least been cash in her pocket, then you know. But yeah, yeah that's true. Um, no, I don't think I don't think they did for that. Um, but like I say, I'm not entirely sure because I think I've only seen the ones that where she's had credits herself within the, um, uh, like within the body of the. She's been credited in the credits, if you see yeah. what I mean. So. Mm. Um, uh, how as to how many her like companies done? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, the, it would have made it would have made a certain level of sense. But then, by the sounds of it, I think her team 
seem to be more about practical effects than sort of CGI and stuff like that. So maybe they maybe they wouldn't have been what they were mm. after. It'd just be nice if she made more money out of the modern wall scene. Oh, and yeah. By the whole film the first time, <laughs> that horrible rubber thing yeah. banging away above her. It's just <laughs> more like he's coming out the wall with this soon than ever before. <laughs> like... Saying that, it's amazing that this film did actually get a, a sequel. Looking at the money involved, um, so it wasn't very expensive. I mean, even for 84, it was 1.8 million estimated. Um, uh, that's not very expensive but uh, you know, for a film so, uh, well, see that does that does sound like fairly expensive for a horror so, so Elm Street 3 which came out um, uh, Elm Street 3 which came out three years later uh, mm. the budget on that is an estimated four and a half million mm, okay. so it does kind of put it into perspective how little they they spent on it. Um, and they are usually cheaper, aren't they? Horror movies in general. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and because and, they, and how many? Oh, sorry, go on. I say generally because they they a lot of the time horror movies don't have big names in them. Yeah. So they mm. can they cut their budget in half and spend that more on effects and things because because they don't spend it on on having known actors. Um, um, and, the case for this. And how many films had Wes Craven done before this? Uh, so he'd done Last House on the Left. All right. Been big. Let's have a quick look. Uh, Last House on the Left. He'd done The Hills Have Eyes. Um, Hills Have Eyes 2. He'd done Swamp Thing. Yeah, so mm. he'd only okay. really... Oh, uh, mind you, that's writer. Yeah, as a writer. Let's have a look as a director. Mm. Uh, Last House on the Left, Fireworks, Woman, I don't know what that is, The Hills Have Eyes, Summer of Fear, Deadly Blessing, Swamp Thing. Yeah, so he was, he'd been going so, for a while, he'd had about 12 But he hadn't done much, that, or at least, I mean, I don't know those, aside from The Last House on the Left, sounds like The Last Podcast on the Left. Um, oh, Last House on the Left is where they get their name from. Funnily enough, yeah, well, I've guessed a, it must be. But There's a character in it called Krug. Mm. who some people almost say could be like you could read last house on the left as a prequel mm. if you wanted okay. to because there's a character in it called krug who is an utter piece of shit um who gets off on uh like torturing people and then murdering them and the That's twist of last well twist of last house on the left is is basically that that him, uh, this guy Krug and two other members of their gang kill these two girls and then go to stay with what they don't realise is their parents. And then the parents realise they've got the murderers of their children in there and they kill them. Mm. And it's very, you know, that is, that's kind of the plot of Elm Street, you know, the sadistic killer who is then killed by the parents of those he's murdered. Mm. Um, but I mean, Wes Craven. The thing was, is Wes Craven was a professor, uh, like a university professor uh, in mm. like film. What? Okay. Before, before he was like really before he was a director. Um, so he got Last House on the Left. There was Hills Have Eyes as well, which I think is pre this. Yeah. Um, 
but you've also got yeah Hills Have Eyes 1 and 2 Scream oh Scream 1 to 4 so he did do all of the screams mm. uh, Swamp Thing Serpent and the Rainbow which is the uh, uh, voodoo uh, film which is great Shocker um, which is a bit of a shocker <laughs> with Mitch Pileggi but with a fantastic uh, proper oh yeah I remember that from the video shop poster yeah oh mm. and next uh, on the soundtrack yeah, uh, Vampire in Brooklyn, Cursed, the uh, werewolf film with Christina Ritchie, uh, People Under the Stairs, which I still love, as, even though a lot of people don't like that film, but I think it's great. And you've got um, Big Ed and Nadine from Twin Peaks playing a truly sort of just fucked up couple yeah. who keep who keep children as slaves. But... Um, but yeah, Wes Craven's not, he's, you know, he's done some, so he's, he, he's got a fairly substantial, he had a very, very substantial body of work. Mm. But so how much did this make? So it cost 1.8 million. So it cost 1.8 and opening weekend it made 1.2. Mm. But it's also the reason why New Line Cinema exists. Yeah. Because <laughs> they'd made one film before this, which was a flop. And then, because New Line Cinema the colloquial term for them is the house that Freddie built mm. because the success of Nightmare on Elm Street and the subsequent films and everything is the reason why they continued. Uh, and it was just literally, you know, the, the overall event, eventual amount that this made back and then obviously subsequent sequels and stuff. And they did so they must have made a remake as well. The New Line Cinema did the remake mm. as well. Mm. Well, because they still own the rights. And I think, I th- actually, what you were saying, Lee, about... The, I think the one thing that's interesting with Freddy is that it's not like, say, for example, Sherlock Holmes or Dracula, you can have a favourite, but they started in a book, so you have... No one is the definitive one, if you see what I mean. Mm. Whereas Freddy is, f- for something that is a myth, he is... You know, he was created by an actor. And I think that that definitely, much more so than probably any other horror icon, uh, probably apart from Pinhead. And even then, that's like something that's a bit, that seems a bit half and half because no one's really, there's been a sort of like, there has been a change of heart of people, different people playing the character. But I think Freddie... Freddy is not something that you can necessarily switch on or impersonate, hmm. you know. And, you know, in fairness, I don't think Robert Englund's that sort of uh, concerned. I really wish I could, I really wish I could remember who it was, but literally just before, uh, just before we started recording, I saw there was someone who is being tipped to play Freddy Krueger next. Mm. And I cannot, for the life of me, remember who it was. I might, I might ask my glamorous assistant to Google that in a second, uh, because uh, yeah, if I could remember, it would be. Uh, who would you like? It? I don't know. There's mm. so, whoever's got to play it has got to be. I mean, that was another thing that came up is that Claire said she wasn't frightened of Freddie because when he ran, it looked like Ted. <laughs> which is our, our, our two-year-old. Which did also then inspire me. I thought maybe that's how he'll be dressed for Halloween. Who knows? Yeah. 
So little tiny Freddy Krueger boy. Um, but yeah, there's actually this is something that because uh, I think we can safely say that uh, who was it? Who was it? Who was it? No, that's that's the guy who played him in the in the thingy. Oh. Uh, uh, that was uh, Haley Joe Osment or Jackie Early. Mm-hmm. Early but he's kind of got to be an older bloke because he's kind of an older mm. character, right? So. Mm. That, Tends to be an established actor, doesn't it? You know. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I, I think you can't. I mean, weirdly, I mean, obviously, Robert England wasn't a name when. No, but he's he not the person because he was the old caretaker. You know. Yeah, but also, I suppose now, Fred, Freddie, because Freddie's going to be the main character, you have to have a name to draw it. I suppose mm. you can't, Lee. I don't know if you know. Oh. Um, just before, I really, I wish I'd written it down, but my brain is just farting itself to death. Um, but someone, this someone has been tipped as a possible, like, going to be the next Freddy Krueger. And um, it was a name. It well, it was like a, it was a proper name. It wasn't sort of like you know, it wasn't a oh, I don't know who that is or anything else like that. Oh, right, okay. So Elijah Woods. Daniel Noah, I don't know, but uh, apparently Elijah Woods might be doing the next Elm Street, or like his company might be doing the next Elm Street. Hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, his production stuff he's been doing recently has been absolutely brilliant. So you said you liked Come to Daddy. I did like that, Come to Daddy. I yeah. thought it was a fantastic. Oh, I've still got to watch that. I've still got to watch that. I really need to. Yeah, it's it's full of again, and it would be perfect for this because it's full of twists, and it surprises you at every turn. Um, yeah, they do a really good job of casting. Yeah, I, I think if his production company is going to do it, I would definitely be all over that. Um, I haven't heard who's supposed to be replacing him. I've got to admit. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, it might. I mean, it might be just again. It could just be rumours, you know, they're like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, just on a, a weird one, uh, I mean, I think we can all agree that Rod enters the pantheon of 80 super douches mm-hmm. that we've seen across, across the board yeah. uh, yes. as we've been watching uh, horror. And also, does, Rod's definitely, uh, we were saying about people coming in from other films, you know, uh, Johnny Depp's in Ferris Bueller, she, uh, Nancy's in Home Alone. He's clearly in a Stephen King adaption where they've like not properly updated it so he's still like a, a 50s greaser with a flick knife you know for no good damn reason um but the guy Which who played really him, reacts to he pulls it out and waves it around yes. yes. hold it up <laughs> Well, it's everyone's just like, yeah, everyone's just like, this is the 80s, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. You stabbed me, my dad's, a, my dad's a lieutenant in the police department. What do you think's going to happen, dickhead? And all the parents down our own will lynch you anyway, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mum's mom, mom's got some matches. Yeah, as soon as um, she's sobered up, you've had it, mate. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as she can focus. Yeah, if you buy that shotgun, she'd be dangerous. Yeah. Fortunately, I've emptied out all the cartridges in this line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, uh, but Nick Corey, who plays Rod, uh, has changed his name. He is now uh, Jeju Garcia, DSS, which is Doctor of Spiritual Science. And he is an ordained minister of the Movement of Spiritual Inner Awareness, 
founded by someone called John Roger. Um, which so he's is a thought leader then. By yeah. the sounds of it, yes. Apparently, it's a lot to do with transcendental meditation. But as I was looking on the page, you then see uh, allegations of cult activity, allegations of um, what was it? Uh, allegations of uh, illegal CCTV, allegations of uh, like sex. Uh, uh, sex scandal allegations etc etc so, everything yeah, so, you'd so, expect from a weird cult yeah so I mean I don't I don't no, know whether yeah. uh, no point in uh, missing something out of the list if you're going to start a cult is there yeah. exactly <laughs> you know boring <laughs> cult where we don't do much and no fun yeah if you, say, if, if you don't do that it's a social club yeah <laughs> that's what it is you know but yeah, so I don't know if uh, Yezu himself is involved in any of this this seems to have been mainly leveled at the uh, the main guy who died a few years back um but yeah i just thought that was an interesting one it was just mm-hmm. it just struck me as slightly odd when i saw that it, it was because it, obviously imdb gives you the person's current name and then it'll be like credited as the rock rather than dwayne <laughs> johnson to you usually his favorite um mm. So yeah, when Nick Corey, when it was uh, Yeju Garcia uh, credited as Nick Corey, I thought there's got to be a backstory to that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I must confess, I did a bit of digging. I think also with I think also with Robert England, you've got he's played Freddie not just in the films. You've got the TV series, like there was Freddie's Nightmares, wasn't there? Which was like the anthology show. Yeah. They weren't actually Nightmare on Elm Street stories, were they? It was just him introducing Twilight Zone-y they, sort of they were Tales from the, the Crypt sort of things, weren't they? Except for the very first episode, which is the story of the trial of Freddy Krueger. Oh, right, mm. okay. Um, and I, I, I believe that's correct. I've got it on DVD. I've got the first six episodes or something, and I watched that one and half of the next episode and then mm-hmm. sent it off and have never gone back to it. Um, Fair dues. So I think that's the case, really. Um, but I think, yeah, because, um, but also, like, he's um, obviously, like, The Simpsons. He's, he's been the voice of Freddy in The Simpsons. I think that was just a couch gag, but um, for a treehouse of horror. Yeah. But there mm-hmm. are plenty of, you know, he, it's, it's not a role that he shied away from or. He's never got into the Ponzi sort of Ben Kingsley mm. end of things. Not Ben Kingsley. Um, oh, what's his name? Obi-Wan Kenobi. Alec Guinness. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's never got into the sort of, oh, no, I, I've done plenty of other things, not just this silly nonsense. He's like quite, he's quite happy that he's like, no, I'm Freddy Krueger and I'm famous for that. Yeah. Yeah. And so. he's supposed to be an astonishing human being. Has anybody who I know who's ever met him at, you know, photo shoots and signings and all the rest of it, says, yeah, like, what a genuinely nice guy he is and there he has time for absolutely everybody. And, uh, yeah, so it, it is not, and I know we've said it before, but it is kind of, it does put you off of an actor when you hear they're a bit of a knob mm. in real life. So when you hear that he's actually a really nice guy, it does kind of, yeah, make, yeah. You, make you want him to continue with this and, and keep watching his films, really, because, yeah. yeah, as you say, his, his horror output after this has just been... Spectacular, and I love the fact that he's he's continued to do low budget stuff. I mean, he obviously doesn't do it for the money anymore, 
but yeah, Jack Brooks, uh, Monster Slayer, and all you know stuff like that he did, and he mm. did the um, uh, Urban Legend movies and all that. So he did a yes, lot of yeah. stuff that was way under his pay grade, just to stay within horror and and keep that solid output in stuff that he obviously felt felt was as was worth his time. And actually, I mean, I'd really, I still, I still really, really want to see The Mangler, a film that I derided, but I since read uh, someone who I suspect was possibly right out of their face, uh, <laughs> saying how it was like a, a Kafkaesque treatment of uh, the workers being fed to the machine. And I quite want to watch it from that. And also because it's one of Stephen King's, oh, that'll do. Stories. <laughs> but what's scary about this is giant mangler eats people. Are you doing sniff? Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, at some point, we are covering Galaxy of Terror. I don't care, just because uh, it's it's an early role for Robert. Um, but you've got uh, Sid Haig in there as well, yeah. mm. and possibly some of the stupidest damn things I've ever seen. Oh, and uh, uh, Joni from Happy Days and Laura Palmer's mum. So it's quite a, it's quite a unique cast. It's a, it's, a, it's a cast, and also shockingly for those sort of films, everyone actually gets lines. It's not, not one of those ones where it's, it's not one of those ones where it's like, Robert Englund's first film, and it's like, yeah, he's getting a shave in the background in a barber shop. That's the, this is not what I came here for, is it? <laughs> No. Oh, funnily enough, I did spot recently, talking about uncredited roles, um, listeners tell me if I'm wrong, but I am 90% certain I'm right. I watched Ghoulies 3 a few weeks ago, um, mm-hmm. and there was a scene in which one of the characters falls over the janitor's wheelie bucket, and I'm 90% certain that that janitor uh, is Kane Hodder. Oh, I can see him for literally about three seconds, but I was like, that's Kane Hodder. It's got to be. The guy's almost eight foot tall and he's almost as wide and he's pushing this and it's definitely him. But, um, but yeah, I checked the credits and he's completely uncredited. But he did used to be a stuntman. But why you'd get a stuntman to, to hold a bucket for a student to fall over is anyone's guess, but I'm pretty certain he was. Well, it's a very dangerous stunt. <laughs> now, nowadays, they probably had to fill out eight forms about that. CGI it. Yeah, C- mm. CGI the bucket is easier than putting someone's life at risk. <laughs> is, is that a phrase that has the same meaning these days, ghoulies? <laughs> <laughs> or or is, it lost on a whole, is it lost on a whole generation of people? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't think the Americans had the same... Because uh, it always used to make me laugh in the 80s in the video shop every time yeah. I saw it. But yeah, no, they've not got the same... Uh, the same dialect as us, so they don't they don't get that. Um, it's good, yeah. But it's funny because it's funny because that is relevant again. Going back to what we were saying about Freddy. Um, so in the original Ghoulies, although it's called Ghoulies, um, it's actually. Can you say that again? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually the story of uh, a guy who brings uh, his the ghost of his father back, who's a demon worshipper. And he just happens to have these little gremlin things that accompany him. But because everyone obsessed over them, like them so cover, the subsequent films were all about them. And they were just like uh, sort of comedy horror gremlins films, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, again, it's one of those. They were a very small part in the first film. 
they were the bit everyone latched on to, so they just went, oh, let's just make more films about them stupid little things and, uh, yeah, and turn them into comedy, so. I think that's the point, is you should know your audience. Yeah. I don't, th- I don't think it needs to get into the level of, like, you know, online petitions and shit like that. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, you go and remake that. Uh, you go and remake Star Wars, R- Rise of Skywalker or Last of the Jedis or whatever like that. Yeah, you go and remake that because it wasn't how me and my mates thought it was going to pan out in the pub. No, you can piss <laughs> off. But, you know, but equally, the people are just going, give us more ghoulies. Yeah. yeah. More ghoulies, Lee. That's what we want. Definitely have that. Where do I sign? This is it. <laughs> <laughs> um, excellent. Right. So, um, Dave, have you got anything lined up that you're going to be looking forward to look at horror-wise that you've been looking forward to? or? Well, I shall now be watching the remake of um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Excellent. With, with a critical eye. <laughs> and I'll compare notes with Chris. Excellent. <laughs> That's good. Um, and obviously, so next episode, we're going to be covering Elm Street 3, uh, Dream mm. Warriors. Yes. Um, are you going to be watching the rest of this series, Dave, or are you possibly going to skip them apart from the remake? No, I, I definitely want to see the follow-up one to see, you know, as I say, how it develops, you know, uh, whether I should really watch the, 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 the sequel before I watch the remake I don't know but I'll probably just watch the remake next week and I'll catch up with the sequel later but you know I mean how's horror going to all turn out now with cinemas with one in every three seats or wherever it's going to be is this the renaissance of horror because they tend to be lower budget or, or are all the cinemas going to be closing you know mm-hmm. yeah I think you're right do you know what I I I think I'd like that. I think I'd prefer horror in it because this is the problem. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't rush out to see a lot of horror in the cinema because I do find you don't get the same atmosphere with a large group. Trying to watch it with a large group of people, you don't feel. <coughs> when I watch it at home, you can turn the lights off you're immersed. on your own. You mm. can be immersed. Mm. Yeah, whereas when you're in the cinema and there's other people shuffling and eating shit and looking at the phone and stuff. Well, that's, that's partially why I thought virtual reality would have a positive impact. Well, I played Resident Evil VR, and it is very effective, I would say. Yeah, see, that could be the way forward, yeah, is to, instead of cinemas, do stuff perhaps live live stream when it comes mm. out, or, you know, VOD or whatever, yeah, and do it more in that sort of style because that's the i want to see the horror films literally the day they come out but as i say you know you're not with a load of you're going to be yeah shoulder to shoulder with loads of other people and it does take the the impact out of it a lot Mm. Um, to be honest it's horrible to say but i think it is just people's i think it is the way people have changed how they go to the cinema Mm. you i think you you always had you always had knob ends but now I think people, it's just, it is, it's got to the point where you're like, you know, are you even, why have you spent money? Why are you wasting money? Yeah. Because you're clearly not watching this. You know, you're having, it's like going to a gig and having a comp and being the pricks who are having a conversation at the side of the thing. And it's like, piss off, going to another bar. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can have a conversation anywhere. We're trying to watch this. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I, 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 say, I think the exception to that 
which is why I do still like going to the cinema, as we've discussed before, is things like The Prince Charles, where you go, it's a film you've seen 50 times before, mm. and you go to like, you all just get drunk and you quote along and you shout at the screen and you all know the, you know, the chances. That, uh, and, and, and that is a, is a great experience to sit shoulder to shoulder with, you know, three other, 300 other people and really get into it. Yeah, whereas I think horror, if you're watching it for the first time, possibly, yeah, I do think doesn't need the cinema experience necessarily, which is, which is a shame. I um, think, I, yeah, I think the last time I went to the Prince Charles to see Mandy uh, with Dean, must be a couple of years back now. Um, and that was like the upstairs of the Prince Charles. I don't know if you've been in there. I've not, uh, but, but it's it's a it's a it's a smaller screen than the downstairs one, um, but that was genuinely for the long time for the longest time going to a cinema experience, and it was like, oh, this is this is because everyone was there to watch the film, hmm. you know. So it actually sort of that was a pleasant experience. So I don't know if that's the that's the way to go that you just have. I mean. Is, is it weird that we're going to have to move into talking or non-talking? <laughs> like smoking and non-smoking. <laughs> but is. yeah, that was, that was, that was a nice, that was a nice, but it was a very, it was almost to the point of, it, that's, that's what it was. It was unusual. You know, when you sort of sat there and you're like, actually, yeah, everyone's, I mean, people, you know, there's bits where people laugh, there's bits where people go, or whatever like that. But that's a shared cinema experience. But yeah, yeah, it was just really weird to sort of like just be in there. It's like, oh no, everyone's here to watch this movie. There's not like someone who's come to watch the movie and their five mates who don't give a shit. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I think that is a, I think the, the cinema experience has definitely changed, as you say, with people. I don't know if it's a lack of other places to go and hang out. So they just... I, I, it may even just be the way people people go to the cinema and watch it the same way as they watch the telly. Mm. But then a lot of people don't watch the telly, which is why you suddenly get, oh, that was a really complicated, weird show. No, it wasn't. <laughs> if you actually watched it for the half hour it was on <laughs> and didn't fart about, it was fairly linear. It was fairly straightforward, I assure you. But, yeah. yeah you could be right. Well, that's, I mean... That's the thing. The problem is now you can watch something at the cinema and, yeah, if you talk through 10 minutes of it, that's all right. You'll catch it out when it comes out in, on Blu-ray in six months, whereas back in the 80s or whatever when, you know, you had to wait a year or something for something to come out on VHS, if you wanted to see it and take it in and you paid your money, you were going to watch it and pay attention and you wanted to get everything out of it, whereas mm. now, ah, well, if I miss a bit, then I miss a bit and I'll only download it or stream it in, you know, six weeks' time and catch up maybe. but. I mean, I mean, I feel, I feel that I've contributed enough to an episode of Grumpy Old Men now. <laughs> but, but I will also just, uh, just to, just to really nail the tin lid on it, so that I can sit there like, like some sort of uh, Clarkson without the raging knobness. Um, sort of, sort of like a, a young and sexy Rick Wakeman. That's how I see myself, obviously. Um, Let me but, just adjust you know, that again. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I think that also, surely there are cheaper places to go and talk because the cinema's so fucking expensive. Pubs are closed. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bus stops, no good. Yeah. All got passed on. <laughs> Churches are closed. <laughs> So it's our fault that they have to go to the There's only podcasts left now. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most of this in the list are just talking over it. I don't know why we won't. <laughs> um, right. So, on that note, um, thank you very much for coming. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming, Dave. It's uh, lovely to have you on. Hopefully, we'll have you back again soon. Yes, please That's come true. back, Dave. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, come back to us with your feedback on what you thought of uh, the Elm Street remake. We're very keen to hear. Um, and we'll be back next week for Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 Dream Warriors. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, God, I love that film. Where we will hear the word bitch. Mm. You will hear it at least twice, I'm sure. <laughs> Can't wait. Thank you very much for listening. Good night. Good night. Good night.